Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an amazing show for you guys today. We have a special guest on this week's Deep Dive. We have Jordan Weekend of the Stoppage Time Soccer Show and the Stateside Soccer Show. He stops by and we discuss all about how do we grow soccer in America? How do we make soccer a more popular sport with U.S. soccer, MLS, the lower leagues, NWSL, you know, all of it. How do we make soccer more popular? And before we get to that, pause this episode right now and take the time to follow us on wherever you listen to this podcast on whether that's spotify or apple podcasts and also follow us on twitter or instagram at final third show you know we love talking to you guys there we're building a community there and it's so cool to see and real quick right before we start the show if there's any soccer content creators so if you're a podcaster, a YouTuber, if you have a blog or a website, or if you have a Twitter account where you post news or whatever, if you make content for soccer, we want to collaborate with you. We have the segment in our Monday show called the predictions section, where we predict five big games that are happening later on in the week. We want to have more soccer people on there. We've had Jordan Weekend just this past Monday. We have some more people lined up in the coming weeks. And if you make soccer content, we want you on there. We want to to collaborate with other small creators. You know, DM us on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. If you're interested, we'd like to get as many people on that we can as possible. All right, with that, let's get on with the show. All right, today, so we're going to ask the question in our deep dive, how do we grow soccer in the USA? How do we get MLS, the U.S. national teams, NWSL, and soccer in general to be more popular? And today we decided to bring on a special guest. You know, we haven't done this for a deep dive before, but we wanted to kind of open the floor up to multiple different perspectives. So we got today with us is Jordan Wiegand of the Stoppage Time Soccer Show covering the English game from an American perspective and the stateside soccer show where they talk all things U.S. soccer. Jordan's also host of many other podcasts, somewhat of a podcast entrepreneur of sorts. And he comes today with a rich knowledge of soccer abroad and at home. And we want him to join us because, you know, A, he's a pretty cool guy, but also because he's been around the soccer world for a while and he's a, he knows what he's talking about. He's smart and he uh, knows all about soccer here in the USA. Jordan, how are you feeling? Did I get anything wrong? Let me know. You got a lot of that wrong. That was a lot of praise. I don't know if I deserve <laughs> all that. <laughs> don't know what I did for that, but thank you. Um, yeah, feeling good. I've been looking forward to this all day, ready to, uh, you know, yesterday I came up with my plan, you know. Nice. Slash sh- shower thoughts, you know, r slash th- shower thoughts there. <laughs> and we'll... Uh, <laughs> We'll we'll dive deep into uh, what what makes this what can make the sport popular over here in the USA. Yeah, awesome. And as always, uh, I'm AJ Tabor. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Final Third podcast. I'm joined by my other co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you feeling knowing that Atlanta just a couple minutes ago got torn apart by Real Madrid? Okay, well, it's just painful. We'll just say we'll just say it's painful. Ah, very disappointing. Yeah, this is one of the rare times where we already have one of our prediction results back while we're recording the deep dive. So we, we, we at this point in time, know that uh, Jordan and I are ahead 
against Jack for that, but that's all right, Jack. That's all right. Uh, so, you know, before we actually talk about what we can do to grow soccer as a sport in the USA, I think it's important to know, you know, where we got into soccer, how we got into soccer. That way we kind of like understand, you know, where we're coming from in terms of the context of how we view soccer and also the different ways that any regular person can get into soccer, can uh, get enveloped into the soccer culture. So, Jordan, you know, you talked about your history watching soccer uh last in the last monday episode but you know refresh the viewers refresh us how did you get into soccer which teams do you support and you know how has that evolved in the last couple of years so uh like i mentioned last time 2006 was pretty much the catalyst for me i was a freshman in high school my dad uh that summer brought home uh, FIFA World Cup 2006 for PS2 with uh, oh man I, I know Zidane Zidane was on the cover I forget who else was on. Um, actually it may have been both Landon and somebody else I think they had regional covers then mm-hmm. but anyway not important uh, so I started playing that and uh, you know the hype for the World Cup and uh, started learning a lot of the rules I used to play soccer as a kid but I only lasted like two years because of the running. You know, it was just so much running. <laughs> and I never learned like the sport. My man, you know, like, my coach would be like, play right wing. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Like you never went over that, you know? So like, <laughs> I- I'm like winging it, you know, literally. And then oh, good one. <laughs> that was I, just off the top of my head. Didn't mean to do that. But, uh, you know, so I started playing that, learning the rules. Uh, we watched um, the 2006 World Cup. USA majorly disappointed there. So yeah. I would put a lot of my rooting interest in Germany because my last name is German. So uh, we come from Germany. I was taking German in high school. So I was like, yeah, okay, let's get a Germany jersey. We got uh, Michael Ballack. Uh, he went to Chelsea. So I started following Chelsea. Um, where it really took off for me, though, was the when we got digital cable. For people that don't remember, there was like, Right. I don't know how this even works anymore. Cable, but there's regular cable and then there was digital cable and the digital cable came with like the DVR. It came with the, uh, you know, 400 channels instead of the 60 we had before. And with that came Fox Soccer Channel. So I was able to watch that's back. You know, they used to have the Premier League. They had Champions League. They had uh, Serie A at some point. Uh, Bundesliga was on Gold TV, so I never got to watch that. And I would just, um, you know, every weekend. And that was great, too, because in high school and then going into college, especially, I, I was able to watch these Champions League games. You know, now when I'm at my job, I can't. <laughs> but uh, so I was able to really get into it then. And like 2007. So we got that in like 2008. But 2007, my dad took me to MLS Cup final in D.C. Whoa. It was uh, Houston versus uh, the Revolution. Um, Houston won their second of the back-to-back Jimmy Eat World did the halftime show back when they did halftime shows. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I started really paying attention to, um, MLS and Seattle got me really interested because of their Xbox sponsor, <laughs> their green and blue colors, you know, green and blue are my favorite colors. My mom would always say they don't match. Uh, guess who's wrong now, mom, they match their <laughs> team Jersey. And, uh, we, uh, then 2010, the union came in to the league and I thought, you know, they're the closest team to me. It was kind of like split between them and uh, DC. My dad has been paying attention for a lot longer. So he was already a DC fan, but 
when I was like, all right, I'm seriously going to sit down and watch and like get a rooting interest. I'm going to jump in with a team that is brand new. And instead of like claiming the four MLS cups that DC already had, I felt like I was like, I'm going to start from the bottom. So did that. Plus uh, they put it sons of Ben. Uh, I went to the 2008 uh, MLS super draft. It was in Baltimore. Oh, wow. Nice. So I went there, uh, you know, got out of school or whatever. My dad took me there and uh, sons of Ben were there chanting and trying to get a team. And I think not long after that, it was announced that they got a team. And uh, there's also this guy in the front row who had a Jersey for every team. And, when it was their turn to pick, he would change his jersey into whatever <laughs> team was picking. <laughs> a little overboard. But uh, so then I was like, okay, 2010, I'm going to jump in with the Union. And I've been, you know, following them ever since. Uh, went to, been to every playoff game before this last year when COVID hit. And had went to every U.S. Open Cup final that they had there uh, as well. So, of course, this is the year they win a trophy and I wasn't in the stand for it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a lot of uh, U.S. Open Cup disappointment before before yeah. this year. Unfortunately, I met Jimmy Conrad uh, wow. at the Sporting Kansas City one. Uh, he was just chilling there as I was leaving, and I was just like, "Hey, Jimmy!" And he thought I think he thought I was going to give him some like crap talk, you know, because I had my union stuff on. He was there for sporting, and uh, I just was like, "Can I get a picture? Like, I love you, you know." <laughs> Took a picture and made my way. It was cool. That's awesome. And I'm guessing you were pretty excited when when they won the supporter shield uh, this past year. Yeah, I have a like eight minute video on my phone of me recording it on the TV, uh, you know, like <laughs> just holding it up to the TV, like recording uh, them winning. And then and then they. Uh, yeah, they turned it off uh, <laughs> yeah. before they presented the trophy. So I had to go to Facebook and go to the union's Facebook page and screen record it, you know, <laughs> so yeah. watch it. But yeah, it was awesome. Um, I don't put too much stock in it just because, you know, it was an unbalanced, very unbalanced year. Yeah. I like really the revolution handed us that trophy, but yeah, yeah. it was fun. Nice. All right. Well, you know, that was, that was pretty interesting. That is a much more comprehensive than I think either of us are going to be because, you know, <laughs> not to, not to, you know, age, you know, either of us, you know, really put a, a, a date on this podcast, but I think the 2006 World Cup, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing we were probably in either kindergarten or first grade. Oh, <laughs> I, I just finished. I, no, I was going into kindergarten, I believe. Yeah. 2006. Yeah. Oh, man, that does make me feel really old. <laughs> hey, that, that's all right. That's all right. Because, uh, you know, you know, in, in 10 years, we're, we're going to be uh, guesting on another podcast and they're going to be <laughs> talking about the 22 uh, World Cup. When, when they, they were, were one seven. years old yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with that, Jack, why don't you tell us your history of watching uh, soccer uh, and how you got interested in, you know, the Guyana national team, right? That's your favorite national team, right? Not, well, ki- kind of, but not not really. My, right. uh, But I'll, I'll go over it. I mean, I, I was never really, like, into sports for the longest period of time because literally every time I played a sport, I got injured uh, I got knocked out by a baseball when I played when I was seven. Uh, I I got trampled by uh, people by like a bunch of five year olds on a soccer pitch when I tried playing. Uh, I I was stuck in defense and I was scared the entire time, so I just got trampled. Um, and you know it it kind of it it made me kind of not like sports that much. But in 2014, 
uh, I was visiting my cousins in Arkansas, and they were both they're, they're, my my cousins are like really big into soccer. Um, and actually, my cousin's been on the show before as well. Oh, yeah, Aiden. Um, yeah, and we we I just happened to watch um, Germany versus Brazil, the semifinal for the twenty fourteen oh, World Cup, which is quite a first game to watch. <laughs> uh, to because you know I had always heard like uh, Brazil was very good and everything, and then I saw them get destroyed by Germany, and I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And so I, I always kept that in, in the back of my mind, like, you know, if I was to watch a sport, I would probably want to watch soccer, but I never really kept going with it. But then uh, at another family event in 2018, uh, it was my grandma's 70th birthday. Uh, we had gone, uh, like, we had taken a big trip, our entire family, uh, down to a resort, and it was during the World Cup, and I started to watch it. And uh, everyone on my family was, like, supporting different teams. One of my cousins was supporting uh, Mexico. Um, another one was supporting Brazil, Colombia, uh, Argentina, just all over. Uh, they're all American, so it didn't make a ton of sense to me. But I was like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll just pick a team as well. And I, I was taking French uh, at the time, and I was like, eh, I guess I'll pick France. And turned out to be a pretty good year to pick France because... Uh, I, I got to watch them win the World Cup, and I and I was like, "Wow, I really enjoy this sport. It's interesting." And from there, I start I started following more of the sport. So, uh, my two favorite players from France's team, or three favorites, were Kylian Mbappe, um, Olivier Giroud, and N'Golo Kanté. So, because of Kanté and Giroud, I was like, "Oh, well, they both play for the same team." So I guess I'll I'll support Chelsea then, uh, and that's how I came along to that. And it's also why I started uh, watching League On because uh, of Kylian Mbappe and PSG, and uh, you know uh, it. After that, I I got to go to Europe in 2019 for uh, a trip, and I got to stay at Stamford Bridge or at the Millennium and Copthorne, which is right by Stamford Bridge. Nice. Uh, and my room overlooked uh, the bridge. They, the team was unfortunately uh, playing in the Europa League that, that weekend, so I didn't actually get to see them, but I, I just remember feeling it, it was just really cool to be in that stadium of a team that I had just started to support. And uh, throughout that, I, I noted I, uh, my favorite moment from that trip was in France. Uh, I went to a random street vendor and got to negotiate down the price in French, which was very impressive for me, uh, of a Kylian Mbappe World Cup jersey. And I got it, I got it for 50 euros, which was, I, I feel like is a pretty good deal. Uh, and I still have it to, to this day. Um, but I, and then, you know, uh, after that, I, since I was into soccer, I, I knew Minnesota had a team, but I'd never gone because AJ, I think we talked in like math class quite a few times over, over this. And, and you're like, Minnesota United are a terrible team. So I just, I, 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 like I was being never, honest at the time. You, you were, you were honest because it was true. But it was like their first I, year, right? Probably. Yeah. Their Probably, first and yeah. second years. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, for my, uh, 19th birthday, it would have been, I actually got given a set of tickets to, um, their game against Orlando city in August. And I, I was super excited for it. And I went there, and I absolutely just fell in love with Minnesota United and MLS because of the supporters' culture. Um, and one thing that I really noticed that just has stuck out to me 
so much and I think is kind of important for this subject is when I when I went to buy a scarf because I noticed like everyone had scarves so I was like okay I got to get a scarf so I paid my $38 for one and as I was checking out I heard I I saw someone in an Orlando City like decked out head to toe Orlando City purple <laughs> face paint and everything and and then uh, he was talking to his friend who was a Minnesota United fan, and he said, hey, I don't care that you support Orlando City. I just think it's cool that you're willing to support an MLS team. And I, and I, was, thinking, and I was thinking, huh, that's weird. I thought this was like a huge sport and like, a, like something that a ton of people knew about. But right. turns out, as I was doing more research, not quite the case. But, uh, you know, ever since then, uh, I've, I've been following Minnesota United. I've gotten way more involved in soccer especially with statistics. I actually, uh, during a, a class last semester, I wrote a computer program to project uh, to project points per season given uh, injuries to key players. Um, it, it failed after, like, after <laughs> Liverpool's injury crisis, but uh, it, nice. it worked for a little bit. But uh, it, it was... It, it, I, I've just gotten really involved into soccer through that kind of perspective, and that leads me to here today, so... That's kind of how I got involved in it. But yeah, just to go over, I suppose I guess it's my turn to talk about my soccer history. Uh, I, I guess my, my passion for soccer began in 2000, 2008, I suppose. My parents, I, I was seven at the time, so I barely even understood the world. Still don't, I suppose. But, <laughs> but uh, my parents got me this book about soccer. It's like an encyclopedia about soccer. And it was also the the year of the Euros, Euros 2008. And they also got me uh, the soccer ball for the Euros that year. Oh, and I yeah. was like, oh, that's sick. Uh, I was never really into any sports other than, I suppose, baseball. But I feel like every five-year-old's into baseball. <laughs> so it doesn't really, doesn't really count. Uh, but I got really, really into soccer. I'd always play uh, during recess with my friends, uh, and I was just obsessed with defending and goalkeeping. I was, I, I was just, I just did not care about scoring goals. I just wanted to like, like tackle and push people over and like, and like be the, the last man hero. Uh, That's to, good to hear to though. Cause most everybody wants to be the, the, the striker. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so I, I was like, I was like, Tim Howard, he's cool. Everyone else, no, who cares? So I, 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 you know, grew up into soccer and eventually like I didn't really last in soccer either. I, I was still short at the time and all the other central defenders started getting taller and I didn't want to become like a fullback or do anything else. So I decided to uh, quit doing that and focus on academics, but I, I was really into soccer from then on. I'd always watch it on uh, Fox or ESPN, especially during the world cups in 2010, 2014, again, Euro uh 2012. Yeah. I started really, really paying attention to soccer. Actually, Women's World Cup 2011 in the mm -hmm. final for uh that tournament, USA Japan, versus USA. Japan. Yep. Yeah. And Japan eventually won. I thought it was like such an interesting story how after the tsunami in Japan, they went on to win that tournament. And that's where I became like really, really obsessed with storylines in soccer and like what it can represent for a community. And what can it, it can represent for the fans of the sport. And so I just became really attached with it. I got FIFA and I just play LA Galaxy versus Seattle Sounders because they were like the best teams in MLS mm -hmm. at the time. And 
that's when I became like a closeted LA Galaxy fan. Still kind of am, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, that was like 2012 and 2013. I found out that Minnesota United existed and started going to their games up in uh, National Sports Center in Blaine, like a 40 minute drive. But, you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was worth it. Uh, and in 2015, I just started watching West Ham because they had not 2015, like 2016. Uh, they got Dimitri Payet, and I thought he was he was really cool. They had uh, they had some interesting players that I began to take a liking to, and yeah, that's why that's why I like West Ham. That's why I like Minnesota United, and you know, to this day, I still enjoy soccer for the same reasons. The storylines, uh, what it what can it can represent for a community. That's that's the main reason why I enjoy the sports. Uh, yeah, that that's my story. Do you guys have anything else to add on to your stories? Um, I was in Epcot when that final was going on between U.S. Women's and Japan, and I was just constantly refreshing Twitter on my BlackBerry. So that dates me even more there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's kind of crazy that, that we, we, like, the two of us started watching soccer at the same time, but I, I was, uh, just learning, much younger yeah i was just learning how to tie my shoes at that point i suppose <laughs> me too actually <laughs> uh all right and with that uh let's get into the actual you know talking about how do we grow soccer in the usa and i thought we should first you know kind of can further contextualize this by talking about where soccer is right now and we all know that soccer is the world's biggest sport the champions league final is the most watched annual sports event more than the super bowl and the World Cup is the biggest event in the world, garnering billions of viewers. And soccer has and continues to gain popularity in America. According to a Gallup poll, soccer has tripled in popularity in the last decade. And among millennials, it's their fourth favorite sport. And with Gen Z, that's only growing. More and more parents are encouraging their kids to play soccer over, their, over the likes of football. And the USA has more registered U18 players than any other country. Liga MX in the Premier League has consistently pulled 500,000 to 1 million viewers for any given regular season matchup, despite not being the league that's actually playing in America. And MLS has gained popularity with new expansion teams coming in with huge attendances, flashy names that bring in crowds and eyeballs. And to that point, MLS's average franchise valuation was set to over $250 million just one year ago. And the U.S. Women's National Team as we all know, is completely dominant. And the U.S. men's national team is also growing uh, with them. And their international matchups can garner millions of viewers, whether that's the Gold Cup or the World Cup, what have you. And yet, we still have insurmountable issues with soccer in America. MLS struggles to get viewership, oftentimes getting less than 250,000 people watching their games, continuously falling short of the likes of the Premier League, college football, baseball, hockey, and even TV shows like The Deadliest Catch. I'll always remember on the r slash MLS subreddit, uh, everyone always points out the, the viewership for games. And every week it seemed like there's just like uh, that Guy Fieri show that always got more of viewers, Deadliest Catch, and we just all feel bad about where MLS is. And we have MLS and NWCL's TV deals are minuscule compared to other leagues. MLS has a $90 million deal currently, and that's compared to NFL's $255 million deal and Premier League's $1.5 billion deal. 
Many MLS teams like Dallas, New York, Chicago, Colorado, New England are fa failing to get attendance or gather any buzz around their team. And that's in conjunction with the lower leagues and NWSL, which are completely volatile with clubs coming in and out, leagues coming and going. And that makes it hard to establish true local soccer when your local Division Three team or NWSL team can be gone in six months. We also have the pay-to-play academy structure. Everyone always talks about it. It limits who can and can't enter the soccer world. And many casuals only care about soccer when it's the World Cup for both men's and women's. And many people discredit MLS and soccer in general in favor of either their favorite American sport or their favorite uh, sport in their favorite league in Europe, whether it's the Premier League, Bundesliga. They say it's a retirement league, it's poor quality, or it's a plastic league with no history. And soccer to this day is a running joke for places like ESPN and Fox. They take pride in not caring or saying uh, the news that's happening around soccer. They're saying that's for divers or for girly men. And to be fair, that's not like all of ESPN. It's like the Sports Center pundits. But it goes to show all these facts show that soccer, unfortunately, is still niche in America. So what needs to change? And I know Jordan has a three-step plan to <laughs> fix this. Jordan, why don't you introduce yes. us to this plan and we will go from there. So it's like a three to four stage plan. You okay. can cut off state. You can almost break stage three into, into two. All right. We'll walk through stage one then. All right. So stage one is already done, right? We're actually in stage two now, okay. right? So stage one was having the World Cup here in 94 and creating MLS, right? Sure. That's what we needed. We had had for a long time not made a, a World Cup. We had uh, no professional league for a long time after the NASL folded. So that was step one. And that kind of took us all the way up to, for for my for my plan here, Josie Altador getting sold uh, overseas from the Red Bulls, Metro Stars. Uh, that's kind of where I say the start of stage two kind of begins, right? So stage two is where we're currently at. Uh, stage two is producing talent at our local teams here and moving them overseas and becoming well-known, right? So we were kind of on a really good trajectory for that for a bit. Um, but really now we're kind of looking at it as with, with all the players that are moving over there right now uh, as, okay, now we're really in the middle of phase two. I feel like we wanted to cut stage two off way earlier when we started mm -hmm. bringing Dempsey out the door, Bradley back. We were kind of already trying to get to stage three at that point. But stage two was is is trying to market Hey, uh, Brendan Aronson, right? You're going to play here for the union. You're going to win a few trophies or one or two trophies. And then you're going to go overseas. You're going to go over there already as an established player. You know, before we were kind of having like uh, Pulisic who went over and joined the youth team, right? Uh, of Dortmund. Working their way up there. Uh, with Aronson, it's more of, okay, we want you to come here, uh, get seen on the stage. You're then going to go over to a smaller team, right? Uh, over in Salzburg, you're going to come in as a known commodity. You're going to break into that team, and then you're going to move from there to a mid-level Bundesliga team, right? Mm -hmm. Or Serie A, right? And then from there, you're going to already enter there with the experience of already playing at Philly, already playing at Salzburg, and then 
you're going to play at this new team, and then you're going to move on to one of the biggest clubs. In the league. Right. So that, that's kind of the trajectory you want the players to go on to. Um, before, we were kind of just saying, oh, Matt Miazga, Chelsea's coming for you. You're going over there, and then he gets just shoved off to Vitesse yeah. and then has to go part of the lone army. So I feel like we're starting to really get to that stage now of uh, with uh, with Connor, um, uh, Connor Cade, right, uh, of the Red Bulls. Um, Caden Clark. Caden Clark. Yeah. Why did I say Connor? Whatever. Uh, Caden Clark. <laughs> I had this right yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I should have took notes. But anyway, Caden Clark goes to the Red Bulls. He pretty much uh, agreed to go to the Red Bulls because he already knew he was going to get shipped off in like a year or two. And the point is to get your talent that is already here to commit to an MLS team to play for a few years maybe help you win something and then move on for big money mm-hmm. instead of just losing them. Like Pulisic could have went to Union, you know, and went through that path. But Union didn't come in until 2010. Uh, you know, he's he's overseas going to like Chelsea's academies, Arsenal academies, and then lands at Dortmund. And nobody got any money for that over here. You know, like right. that didn't help us at all. Right. Uh, so then we're trying to then sell the other players like let's say uh, another player like Aronson and say, Hey, we just sold this guy off. He came here and won, won a supporter shield. He's now going over to seas. He's breaking in that team. He's doing well. And we want you to do the same thing. You're going to probably buy into that more if you're the player. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to just create this endless, uh, you know, assembly line here. <laughs> literally of the next Aronson, Paxton Aronson, right, is going to then become the next one that probably has the same trajectory. And then the fans say when they're watching Salzburg or they're watching Champions League and they're like, wait, that guy's American? Where'd he come from? They find out he's from the Union and they say, well, I might go to my local team and catch the next Daryl DK, the next Aronson, the next whatever. That's stage two, right? That's pretty much, you're trying to get people to watch because they want to see the next big name stage three is eventually and this could be years 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 down the line but it probably starts with 2026 world cup hosting another world cup here and then building off of that even more and making people you know when they're able to watch primetime games that matter here in the world cup that's going to help even more you know like champions league ratings are still not like super great because they're on uh, Tuesday and Wednesdays at like two forty-five, three o'clock yeah. Eastern time. So people are at work during that time. I used to watch it all the time as a college kid because I would yeah. structure my classes around it. Now <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to, you know, like uh, thankfully I'm working from home. I can just flip it on. But you know, when I was at the office, I I would just have to check updates and check highlights. So stage three is starting with that 2026 World Cup that gets everybody here excited again. And then also at some point bringing those players back here and and maybe Mm -hmm. not, that's probably more stage four if you want to break it in, but stage three has to be bringing bigger names over here. Uh, Maybe not Americans, but you know, uh, not Ryan Shawcross either. You know, you have to be bringing, (laughs) bigger names over here that makes people not just go down to the game because they want to see the next Aronson, but that they want to go see Messi or Ronaldo. 
um, if either of them were to finish a career here. That would be a big turning point, bigger than Beckham, because yeah, of course. they're bigger names than him, you know, worldwide. Uh, so that's kind of like the plan as I see it. What also helps is like having Taylor Twelman on the morning show on ESPN Plus, mm-hmm. right? Where they're talking all sports. He's a guy there that's going to be able to bring up soccer stuff and not laugh it off the way some of those other pundits do that we have now. And eventually it's just going to become an age thing, you know, like eventually all the old dinosaurs that would rather watch Deadliest Catch over (laughs) (laughs) over an MLS match are going to be watching uh, MLS games because the older people would have eventually have passed away or be stuck watching Game Show Network all day. Yeah, you you bring up a lot of good points, especially and I do want to get into this later, like uh, uh, having a TV presence like Taylor Twellman, having that be more of a ubiquitous thing, I think is important. But I have some follow-up questions before i ask uh jack to give his take and that is number one you know when we talk about selling players that's obviously a really big thing don garbers it was was you know parroting that point all the time like we should become a selling league uh pointing at people like almiron moving to newcastle uh alfonso davies moving to Bayern. that's kind of like the pipeline uh you're talking about even if davies moving to Bayern was kind of a an exception rather than the rule but, you know, a lot of people they're they might not be so invested in MLS that they're going to watch it just to see the next Alfonso Davies. So when you have people complaining that, oh, well, FC Dallas, they keep on getting rid of their best players. They got rid yep. of uh, Reynolds. They got they, they got rid of uh, they're going to get rid of Pomacall eventually. You know, what do you say to them to say that? this is going to be in the long run better. Like you should still be invested, even if FC Dallas might not win uh, a championship under this model. Well, here's the thing. I actually just did an FC Dallas preview where I kind of went in on them on this part. Yeah. Because because, uh, this is part of where part of like the stage three, but also stage two, I guess you have to be able to bring better talent here. So like, Stage three is bringing bigger names. Stage two has got to still be, you still got to be competitive in your market, mm-hmm. right? So FC Dallas, yes, they're they're kind of like, uh, let, let's say FC Dallas and the Union, right? Union have uh, a good youth academy that they're putting together. They're selling players, but they're also in the hunt for finals. They're, they're winning trophies. Dallas was at that point during Oscar Perea's run. Yeah. But then since then, have really fallen off and have kind of just been like, all right, well, we're selling uh, Reggie Cannon. Uh, two months later, you're selling his backup, Brian Reynolds. And uh, when we actually spoke with the people from the third degree, um, you know, news outlet for uh, FC Dallas, they mentioned that they kind of already knew that Brian Reynolds was going to be going over there like years in advance. That like when they were when when they had like Reggie Cannon and Brian Reynolds already signed up and they're like, all right, we already have to find Brian Reynolds replacement like years ago. Yeah. So like they already knew it was happening that fast. But the thing is, uh, your, your fans are just seeing you turn over these players. Um, you didn't even get McKenney to commit, you know, mm-hmm. to the team. And at that point, it's just, um, you gotta be able to win trophies with these people. Um, so you have to put pieces around them, but they haven't been doing that. And that's what, some of the owners are going to have to take some, you know, onus on themselves to bring in better players. And right now you're seeing that with like Atlanta, um, who can bring in the South American players. They're paying 
top dollar for them, but they're also going to make more when they sell them on. So it's not just selling on and developing youth products for American soccer. It's for the whole region and even out of the region, South America, bringing them here where they're going to want to play because guaranteed paychecks, which some leagues are not able to provide. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to get seen on a bigger stage, you know, nationally. Uh, and, uh, and then from there, you'll move them on to the next place, like Al Miron. Uh, for his situation, though, Newcastle is not the best fit, style-wise. Sure. Um, but, so, so that is one of the things that you got to figure out, and I don't have an answer for this, is how to make those owners spend money. Because right now, those SC Dallas owners are just happy of making the money by selling their players but the thing is no fans are going to show up for that so you have to make sure you get fans in the seats by bringing other young players in uh and then building a competitive team and challenging for trophies which uh you know chicago you mentioned earlier they, they're making the right moves by going back to the city of chicago outside mm -hmm. of bridgeview uh they got out of that lease which is what they needed to do so for me, like Chicago's kind of on a good trajectory that was ruined by COVID. We don't know how their attendance yeah. would have been. But really, I look at teams like Dallas. Um, I look at teams like Red Bulls. New York City FC put no money in this offseason uh, when they have Yankees and Manchester City ownership. It's just bizarre. Um, and we got to get stadiums for these teams, too. They can't be playing at Yankee Stadium all the time. Yeah. Or uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Inner Miami, you bring up. Uh, th th those are all good points. I, I think you spoke very well on that investment point of view, like investing back in your team. Uh, you know, just selling players isn't the answer if you're not going to invest. Uh, follow up question might be a, a little bit of a shorter one, but you, you talk about bringing back uh, big name players uh, for you in this plan. And I, I think most people agree that part of growing in soccer is like getting big name players. What's the difference between getting those big name players uh, in the future versus getting the big name players that we are currently getting? So, like, what's the difference between getting a big name player in stage three uh, yeah. where they actually add to the league versus, I don't know, like a, a Zlatan or a Chicharito? Like, what's well, the difference? Zlatan there? was kind of a, a different beast because he came in and people thought it was a retirement situation, but he tore it up. And he actually went back to Syria and tears it up. So uh, for him, he's just going to play till he's 50, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for the other situations, you know, you're looking at like the Ryan Shawcrosses. You're looking at uh, Higuain's. You're looking at um, players that are coming over way too late into their career. Uh, Steven Gerrard, when he came over. Pirlo, probably. <laughs> yeah. But Pirlo is still, you know, he was so old, he could just kind of stay in one spot still. And do his <laughs> stuff. But, you know when it comes to these big signings and stuff is that they're coming over so late that you get what, like Gerard was a year, maybe it wasn't mm -hmm. long. Um, and even then they're coming in at like mid season and then like just going back off again. And you need them to come over earlier. Right. And you need the bigger names to come over. Like Lampard and Gerard were, were big names. Um, but like you need the, the Messi, the Ronaldo's, the Neymar's, to play here kind of like Pele did in the NASL it took off back then yeah uh but then people were just spending wildly that you know they, they died out um so for me it's just like a um the big part of that is bringing those bigger name players over earlier 
And I think at some point, if they keep tinkering with the Champions League format, if this new format that's coming out is what it is, mm-hmm. I could see that losing a lot of its luster, in all honesty. If it's going to be like a table format, and if yeah. it's going to have so many teams and only some teams can get relegated from it, and all this stuff, and you can't transfer players from one Champions League team to another, that's going to lose a lot of the luster that eventually people uh, might want to come here because they're going to have that, you know, you have the supporter shield for the the regular winner, and you also have the MLS Cup, which is going to be that, and then you have the Champions League. But in that case as well, you need the whole market, the whole region, CONCACAF, to grow. And I think MLS is helping that too because you get MLS and USL teams having Trinidad players and and uh, Jamaican players, and it's helping the whole region, which is then going to up the CONCACAF Champions League as well. Yeah, I th- th- those those are some uh, pretty good points. I think, yeah, getting those players back, in their prime is much more important than just getting a big name player period uh jack you know we want to get you in this conversation as well you know we talk about uh staying competitive uh by selling players by getting those players back uh in your mind what's what's maybe another way that we can get soccer to become more popular in america well there's a lot of things that i've been thinking about with this and beyond just the selling thing I think one thing that needs to change is maybe maybe not the most conventional thing that people think about, but I don't know. I I I like to think outside the box. So um, sure. What one thing that I've I've thought of just going back, thinking about early school, uh, like just like early elementary school stuff like that. When you're learning about any kind of thing in school, if you ever talk about a sport, you almost always hear about like uh you know. Uh, baseball or you hear about like basketball and you hear about those kinds of sports and those are the sports that are most often like uh shown to people like uh as like you know in in gym class it's not very often that you play soccer it's more often that you you know you play basketball like if there's free time they just lower down some basketball nets and you'd get you get a slightly (laughs) deflated basketball and they just say go have fun uh so i i think one thing that needs to change is just like getting it more involved at a younger age level because a lot of these people are instantly thinking like uh from an american perspective like you know it it's all about baseball and uh it's all about it's all about football and basketball and these are the big sports and soccer isn't even mentioned as something that occurs in america like i didn't even know mls existed until aj mm-hmm. you probably brought it up to me in math class, just asking me to check like uh, the statistics of how likely it was that Minnesota United would make the playoffs. I remember it was less than one percent as well uh, in twenty seven. <laughs> negative percent at that. Point. It, it was probably a negative <laughs> percent, but yeah, uh, that was the first time I, I even knew that soccer was a league in the in the U.S. And it kind of goes to show that you know you're there's a whole audience you're missing because it's not really broadcasted out there. And an, another thing is like. You, you, you have to reach out to a different type of fan because I've, I've heard a lot of talk uh, from different people saying like, you know, MLS would be a lot bigger and like soccer in the U.S. would be a lot bigger if they just added promotion and relegation. And ultimately, <laughs> I think that's a huge European point of view. It, that's how you get MLS appealing to European audiences. How many like people who are just starting to watch soccer for the first time, like if they're an FC Cincinnati fan and they're like, all right, I'm going to try soccer. And then their team gets relegated immediately because, well, yeah. you know, 
they're, they're not going to stick around for that. They're they're they because there's other sports like uh, that are true. big that are big or like the same level or bigger. Like, uh, you know, if uh, I mean, Cincinnati doesn't have great options otherwise for like <laughs> for sports. Look, teams, I'm but. an Orioles fan, right? In Baltimore, yeah. we would have been relegated to triple A like years ago, at this exactly. point, yeah. like 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. So in that case, it's like. To your point, though, if you ask owners over in England right now, if they want to scrap relegation, 95 percent are probably saying yes. Yeah, because they want to be locked in. That's why they're trying to do this European Super League. Yeah, exactly. They want to be locked into the money and the chance that they can drop out of the money and become a Sunderland all the way down <laughs> League One is very worrisome for them. So that's why it can never fly here. Plus, the infrastructure is not ready. For yeah. Like if you're it because the issue is it's not really as much like people who watch soccer that are that you need to really reach out to. Like a lot of them acknowledge MLS and like will passively watch it, but it's mm-hmm. people who don't even know MLS is there or won't acknowledge it's there at all. That that's that's the next step that you you need to take to like uh like that's an or probably a step that you need to take at the same time as Jordan what you were talking about with your uh, three to four point plan. Uh, because that that's like a great way to get, I feel like, a lot of people who are more in, interested in soccer already to start thinking about like MLS as this like bigger league to be watching. But uh, trying to get more casual fans who are willing to give it a chance. Like uh, um, I I know um, uh, my my aunt and uncle have season tickets to uh, Minnesota United games because my aunt works for one of their sponsors and. I I'm I had a lot of friends who I would be like, hey, do you want to go to a soccer game? I have free tickets. Half of them would say, no, I don't really care for soccer, even though it was like, you know, a fr- I was offering them free tickets. I even offered yeah. to buy them food. And like, they're like, nah. And if you and if you're well, maybe convinced- they just didn't want to hang out with you. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I, if so, that, that hurts. If so. Uh, but, no, you know, I, I mean, like once I once like people actually got in there and interacted with it yeah. every time i had ha- i asked them after they were like absolutely i'd want to go well it's all can I, about can I ask a, yeah, a follow-up question yeah. like h- how would you say that we get casual fans because you're talking about like getting casual fans w- w- what's how do you connect uh soccer to casual fans if there's not already like a built-in infrastructure to get people involved and jordan this, has is, this is gonna sound stupid this is gonna sound so stupid but we won't really make it until you have, you know, like, okay. Any of you guys watch just like regular sitcom, right? Yeah. Yep. And you have like in the office, they're talking Phillies uh, in King of Queens. He's wearing jet stuff all the time. At some point, you're going to need some of those teams to make their way into, into those type of shows where it's just like accepted as a, uh-huh. as a, top league you know where people like in friends they're talking about the knicks they're talking about the rangers you know uh and it's not like the nhl is that far ahead at that point but like if if you get somebody that writes on a show that is a soccer lover and they're saying you know they're all their characters are talking about going to the minnesota united game uh you know marshall from you know uh how much your mother was a big vikings fan you know like uh nowadays he could be a a minnesota united fan you know but it's it's uh, while that probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, it it's part of the reason why people don't look at it as seriously is because they don't see it every day. Like you said, you didn't even know there was a league here, but 
you're just watching TV and you see them wearing the stuff or having something hanging in the background, that makes you more aware of it um, and could drive casuals to at least look up what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's one big way. Uh, another thing I'm thinking about, like, uh, I mean, it, a lot of it goes back to, like, in schools. Like, instead of just talking about, like, you know, uh, here here's, like, uh, stories of, like, uh, you know, Jackie Robinson who overcame discrimination and uh and right. got and played in this league. Like there what what about talking about like sexism in the women's team? And, and or Robbie like Rogers for the Galaxy. Yeah. Like yeah. just just talking about any of these stories that also have relevance to social issues and being like, you know, hey, this is a whole thing out here. It's part of who we are because I feel like a lot of the the thing about like baseball is like you know, ah, it's America's pastime. It's like what everyone, what everyone, uh, lo- like loves to see. It's like the American game. Like the idea of soccer, I feel like is treated as such a foreign concept for mm-hmm. a lot of casual fans. And I, I guess like a, a lot of the things that the league has done, like that MLS has done is kind of about Americanizing it. Like the MLS super draft, that is like a really big part of it because it goes in, it dips into what makes stuff like, you know, basketball and the NFL a, a lot, uh, a lot more popular, like getting uh, the link between college to professional that has, that has a yeah. lot of, uh, to do with it. No promotion and relegation has a lot to, to do with Americanization. And, you know, the thing that baffles me the most about this as well is like, you can get an entire season ticket thing for like Minnesota United for about the same cost as a single ticket to a Vikings game. Yeah. Like it, it's it, it's super affordable as well, and uh, it's it's wild that like so many people are just not willing to give it a chance. But I think a lot of it comes down to how uh, how it's how it's kind of marketed to a more casual audience who doesn't care about soccer in the first place. Yeah, I and, and sorry, AJ, just real quick with we, yeah. he, uh, Jack just made me think of something with uh, the. Um, uh, you know, with with tickets and, and uh, the rules and the super draft and all that, people keep saying that they have to get rid of like Tam Gam and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's true because if you look at baseballs, they got arbitration, they got the Rule Five draft, the waiver draft. People can yep, figure it yeah. out. I mean, it's not that <laughs> difficult. Uh, so let's not act like that's a hindrance to it, just because the rest of the world doesn't go by it either. In fact, a lot of the hardcore fans will be like, "Oh, that's interesting. It gives them something to look at." Yeah, I and I was gonna like actually just say pretty much that I think MLS is, has an identity crisis, and when the final third eventually makes video essays, hopefully in the future, that's something I, I definitely want to talk about because I think that's a huge major hindrance to America' uh, relationship with soccer is the fact that MLS and U.S. soccer and NWS and all these leagues they try to find the line between completely americanizing the sport and completely going full european and so we have before we have the metro stars we have like all these crazy rules we have penalty kicks where the 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 kicker runs towards the goalkeeper and almost knocks him out like a hockey shootout yeah yeah basically and now we have the charlotte fc the austin fcs of the world and so they're trying to find this line but i think that binary is kind of stupid and i I think to jack's point it's not about being overly American, overly European. It's about catering to the casual fan and kind of building up their own identity, like an identity that's 
more or less unique compared to just American sports or European sports. And that's why I think marketing is just as important, if not more important, than what happens on the field. Like, you know, Don Garber's talking about the League MX merger as a possibility. Like, sure, that's going to raise up eyebrows uh, and bring eyeballs to the league. It's just kind of uh, a false solution, I suppose. You know, what actually matters to me is I think there's so many clubs that don't actually invest in getting their name out to the casual fans. You know, I, I looked at Reddit and I, I, I put the question into Reddit to see uh, what people would think. And so many people are saying FC Dallas, uh, New York Red Bulls, Toronto FC. They're popular, just, just not compared to the other sports. Soccer is popular in Dallas, but not FC Dallas. Soccer is popular in, in uh, Southern California. But LA Galaxy and LAFC just aren't there yet. And so too many clubs just aren't advertising enough. And the way that they're advertising and the way they're going about marketing just seems like it's, it's ill-advised. You know, we have, you just need to be more personable. And I've spoken to this a million times, but actually trying to create a brand, an identity, a kit, a crest that's actually unique and speaks to the community gets people involved. I think... The first time I ever wore my my MLS jersey to school, so many people didn't know what it was, but they pointed out how cool like the the Loon Crest was, and that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. When you have a, a brand that people can latch onto, when when you represent the community, and instead we have teams who kind of have that Silicon Valley kind of feel to them, where they try to be you know sleek and cool and trying to latch onto like being hip and the new thing in town i'm speaking more to expansion teams but you know for mls to really stand out they kind of can't just be like the cool thing in town they have to really try to find the humanity in their fans i suppose and that's why minnesota united i think does it really well they're not the biggest name in town but every single time they market their team they market to what casual fans actually want which is an experience. That's why you'll always have the Wonderwall, the supporter section, being the front and center for their advertisements. It's right. why you. It's why you have like this this cool, uh, welcoming atmosphere given in their commercials. Uh, I did want to point this out. If you guys know the team FC Spartak Moscow in oh, the yeah. Russian Premier League, they have four hundred thirty four point nine thousand followers on TikTok, yep. compared to MLS's. 214,000 as a leak. And, you know, why is that? Like, why do these random teams, no offense to any Spartak Moscow <laughs> fans that are listening, it's because, you know, why do they have more followers? It's because they post memes, they post training videos that are interesting, they post prank videos that get people involved. And MLS just doesn't do that. We've been tweeting that MLS just tries to act too cool for what it is it tries to act too european they hire marketing firms that try to that try to you know get them to be cooler than they actually are try to act like they're they're uh they've been here before when they really haven't and so when you have no creative kits or identity you have no creative marketing you have no outreach into the community like so many clubs don't have then you're not actually reaching the casual fan. And so taking those steps to become more of 
you know, a casual friendly club and being more accessible through your marketing, to me, that's a major way to getting casual fans involved. You know, stop trying to cater to, you know, European fans, American super fans, and instead try to embrace what makes MLS and U.S. soccer unique. And that is the community. And that is uh, the, the things that they bring from that community. Yeah. Am I speaking facts or am I just like completely off the mark? Well, I think sometimes their 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 Twitters are not as dry as you're making it seem to be. Uh, case in point, the FC Cincinnati mistake of Yop Stom. Uh, that was a mistake. The teams, the teams all got in on that with, yeah. you know, putting pictures of Mr. Clean and uh, Jason Statham and all this stuff. But uh, but yeah, I think there's sometimes they're they're really good on there. Um what I like about him as somebody that interacts with a lot of these people and players on, on Twitter is that here I at least can like have them respond back to me. Like we, yeah. we, like Logan and I were just tweeting and Michael LaHood was uh, uh, responding back to us and liking our yeah. stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. You yeah. know, like, uh, yeah, sorry. Sergio Guerra is not liking my posts when, <laughs> I, <laughs> when I tag him in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, just speaking on that community thing, it reminds me of, um, so I, I got to intern at the Minnesota state Senate, um, few last year and their, uh, like beginning of the legislative session, uh, like get together before COVID, obviously this was in like February was held Mm -hmm. at Allianz field. And, you know, I, one of my favorite memories of that is I was just like walking around and like, you know, networking and all that kind of stuff because uh, that's important uh but i i was talking to the mayor of saint paul and uh melvin carter and he was just talking about how awesome like uh you know minnesota united is and then it just reminds me like you know the more we have like people like this who are in these sort of positions who like talk about these kinds of teams publicly uh it's it's just really cool. Like uh, the other day as well, um, Chuck Schumer, the senator from New York, actually tweeted out saying like, "Congratulations to Eunice Musa for choosing uh, like because he's a New York native for choosing the U.S. men's national team." <laughs> like that kind of thing just uh, is kind of a connection that you know I I feel like isn't really seen as much like um it in um like the U.K. and uh, uh over in Europe like you see a lot more politicians as well like just and uh community leaders like using uh their the teams and like the teams like uh you, you know kind of uh using them as kind of like a mouthpiece for for them but in the u.s that's not as big of a thing and i kind and i and i love to see like uh when you know community leaders are like you know just talking about that and like you know publicly tweeting like you know hey this is a really cool thing that happened in soccer instead of just like here's a really cool thing that happened in football or in in basketball or just treating it as like that kind of, that kind of sport. And then also like, um, one thing that we, we probably, since we're kind of, kind of, uh, running longer than usual, uh, we might not get to, we might not get to talk about this as much, but, uh, recently Minnesota United, I I know, uh, we've bigged them up a lot during this, but that's, that's just the club that I know at least. But, uh, they, they had a a huge initiative, like making a ton of uh, hard top courts, uh, in, in a ton of areas in Minneapolis and St. Paul to encourage kids to like get out and play. And I think that that's something that 
a lot of teams, if you do that kind of thing, like getting out into the community, doing these things that benefit the community, I, it doesn't have to be like a ton of money even, but like just doing stuff directly like that. Minnesota United was also a place, Allianz Field was a ballot drop-off location for the 20, uh, 2020 election. They, uh, they, they've done a ton of, uh, like, you know, food drives and, uh, and, uh, for women's history month, they, they had like a huge, they're doing a huge, uh, women's, uh, women's hygiene product drive as well at Allianz field. It's, it's that kind of stuff, doing that sort of stuff for the community that people remember more and say, and getting that community more involved in saying, Hey, this team is actually pretty cool. They're doing stuff to help us. Maybe we should maybe we should check that out because, you know, a lot of those other teams, like a lot of other professional sports teams don't, I feel like, do the same level of stuff. Yeah. But the main hurdle is that there's no Baltimore team. So once that happens, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. once well, that happens, we'll, we'll be world champions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once uh, Crystal Palace Baltimore comes back, then <laughs> then we'll be get the ball rolling. Uh, I, I actually interned for a Baltimore Bohemians team. Oh, nice. They existed for about six years, maybe. Uh, 2012, they played actually in Bel Air, which is where I am. And uh, there was uh, just like a almost like a rec field that they converted into like a, a, a field. They were USL, PDL, which was like third tier, fourth tier back in the day. And I would like sell tickets and, and all that kind of stuff there and uh, be the ball boy when they needed that. But that was that was good. You know, we, we actually got some decent people showing up for that. And, you know, that was that was good. But what we need is like, the you know, like you said, there's so many teams that are just falling apart. And that's why like pro, pro and rail would never work is because, yeah, once a team drops, they're gone. Like they're not going to be able to sustain themselves. And once a team comes up and they're playing at a community college soccer field <laughs> where that only fits 2000 people, then. You know, it's it, the infrastructure is not there yet, but we do need clubs in each city, really. Like if we had a USL team, we would be able to handle that here and we would be able to. Uh, it gets people involved of kind of like how my, you know, like minor league baseball was everywhere before they just kind of contracted. Some. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I would be able to go to like the Aberdeen Ironbirds, which is right down the road, really, for, uh, you know, it, for a night out and people would take their kids to cheap minor league games. So if you have lower level soccer that's near you, that's how you really start getting that in the mind of people as well. Like, Hey, this team is here. Like, you know, we have the Bobcats here, Maryland Bobcats. I just bought all three of their kits, but nice. uh, they have, uh, but they're farther down. They're closer to DC. So um, it'd be quite a hike. But if you had one, like, in baltimore then this area starts getting into it right we're usually up in the ratings for some of these like mm -hmm. premier league games and uh but what you need is you need these places to start having lower teams that then people go out to and uh, mls expanding in the new markets as well is helping people be aware of yep. it you know like jack you probably would not be a soccer fan right without right. minnesota right. or at least a minnesota fan because you wouldn't have a local team there um, that just got, you know, that just got into the league. Yeah. A uh, strong investment in the second division and NWSL yes. is super important. We actually just got news. Uh, Markel, Michael Parkhurst is investing in the Pawtucket USL team, I believe. It's a Rhode Island. And so, you know, getting more investment into, you know, states and cities that currently don't have a professional team. I'm thinking, yeah, Rhode Island, uh, uh, Cleveland, Baltimore. 
uh, Boise and Idaho, you know, Iowa, you know, these are places that, you know, for all we know, could be ripe with soccer supporters and potential soccer superstars, you know, getting, yeah. they can get 5,000, 6,000 people going to their games and that would be huge. Yeah, and, people show up for the blast. That's an indoor team. Yeah, you know? yeah. So if you, had, if you had an outdoor team, people would show up. Yeah. And, you know, getting investment in places like Angel City in NWSL, you know, yeah. starting starting teams in places where they don't have teams, getting strong investment is super important. And just to go off of Jack's point, because, you know, Jordan, we want to be respectful of your time so we can't get into too much of the, the weeds here. But when we're getting more casual fans into soccer, we also have to, you know, talking about outdoor courts you know that's that's obviously really important we got atlanta united also doing that putting that all over atlanta uh that's all about reaching out to the community and giving a, a space giving a place uh for people to feel like they're a part of something feeling like they can they can have access to soccer well if we're talking about giving access uh giving soccer to the community well the largest community across the u.s that's not you know caucasian is hispanics right and so many teams aren't doing enough hispanic outreach uh within their community and even on social media we have uh minnesota united fortunately they have one but u.s soccer if you guys remember a couple of years ago got in a lot of hot water for pretty much ending their support of the of spanish their account. yeah their spanish account and those are really big things to consider when, you know, Hispanic Americans make up a large part of not just our general population, but our soccer viewing population as well. So, you know, it's all about reaching out to whether it's uh, the kids, whether it's casual fans, whether it's uh, disadvantaged communities who need your help in the community. Well, that that's the role of the soccer team. And that's how you get the soccer team to be integrated with the community jordan do you have any other uh points that you, that you'd like to bring up or jack even uh on how we grow soccer before we wrap things up here uh the only thing i was going to say to your point about hispanics and such is that the the only difficult part about that and the reason why liga mx is such a high viewed league is because you know when they did immigrate the people passed that down to their family of you know we're a we're a Chivas supporter or we're a so so that kind of is an issue that we got to break into because this league's only 25 26 years old now that you know the the Mexican league has been around for so long that they're passing that down and eventually we got to pass that down to our kids you know like um take taking the kids to the games We're, we're kind of just now hitting that point where people are old enough who who started watching MLS when it first came in to really be passing it down to their kids fully. So that is who were kids when it entered now passing it down to their kids. And that's eventually just going to keep increasing. Um, but that's the major hurdle too, is, is the TV ratings is, and I guess that's one reason why they want to, you know, force those two leagues together. Right. Cause if Liga MX comes in to MLS, then, Oh, we get all those viewerships, but, do you? Are they still going to watch a Minnesota Dallas game? Yeah. When you know Chivas uh, Santos Laguna's on. Yeah, exactly. And Jack, do you have any uh, uh, anything else you'd like to add or any closing remarks on this? Yeah. Well, the one closing remark which Jordan just kind of touched on is it, a lot of this comes down to time because 
uh, MLS is a new league. Uh, one one thing that I that I want to mention because uh, it's it's something that we didn't talk about a ton, but is kind of mentioned a little bit, is that the women's national team is so much more like, and the women's league in the U.S. is so much more respected worldwide than like MLS, and a lot of that comes down to time because the U.S. women's national team. Uh, all these other leagues like England, Brazil, they banned women from playing soccer until like the 1980s. So they're right. all playing catch up, whereas the U.S. has been dominant for a lot longer, especially mm-hmm. after Title IX came into play in the 1970s. And uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> MLS is one sixth, uh, like one sixth of the time. It's been around for one sixth of the time of like the top flight in, in England. It's not go. It's unfair to judge them like uh, up to that same standard now. But eventually, time time will come into play. You know the idea of like uh, you know support your local or like support your your dad's or mom's team, like uh, they say in England, uh, comes more into play because you don't really have that generational aspect yet. And I I think that once that happens, like uh, especially with that the twenty twenty six World Cup on the horizon. Uh, I, I think that will really start kickstarting it, and I think that MLS really has a good, uh, tra- like possible upwards trajectory that they can follow because of that time. Start stage three. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I I will definitely agree that it's going to take time. I think that if if MLS can start reaching out to casual fans. It's only a matter of time before, and they, you know, to be fair, they have been, and and it's only going to continue to grow. In twenty years, the 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 kids of the fans that initially uh, took them to games, you know, the parents that are taking all of their five year olds to games right now, those kids are going to grow up, and they're going to pass it down to their kids, and it's only going to make the ties to the community and to the fans even stronger. Right, and, like we mentioned with the baseball yeah. national pastime, that was the sport that was passed down. Like that was my favorite sport before I started watching soccer, and that was, you know, my my mom would say when she went to the World Series for the Orioles, and you know, like you kind of have that passed down from generation to generation. We're just now starting to get to that point. Yeah, like I, like I'll tell my kids that I almost got frostbite going to Minnesota United's <laughs> inaugural home game where we got pounded by Atlanta. You know, th- those are things that we're gonna pass yeah. down. And I think when we're looking forward to like the TV deal and the World Cup 2026, it's it's not so much that those are necessarily the big benchmarks, but rather if we follow this process of being more in the community, of selling more players and marketing that we're a selling league and uh, doing all the things that that we three have talked about, then we'll eventually we'll get to that point. You know, like the TV deal, World Cup 2026. That's not make or break, you know, with going through the different stages, going through uh, uh, the different things that MLS needs to do in order to uh, put itself as a major player in the soccer world. Those are the things that we should be measuring our success by in terms of growing popularity. It's not necessarily these big events, but rather the small things that we do on the side. And uh, with that, are there any other uh final things you'd like to say any other you know things you want to bring up last thing i just want to say is that uh, if we don't win a world cup within the next 10 years it is not a flop ah don't don't buy into that (laughs) you got matthew doyle over here apparently 
I mean, 10 years is only three World Cups, and there's yeah. no way we're doing it in 2022. So, no, that, that's not a... Uh, I, I understand people are excited. I don't want to squash optimism, but uh, let's not let's not say it's going to outright be a disaster if we don't. <laughs> All right. Well, Jordan, thank you for this you know, amazing conversation. I think this is one of my favorite deep dives we've done. Uh, I think it's a very big topic that we try to cover, and maybe eventually we'll get back to... Uh, part two of this of this conversation but thank you for joining us yeah you have a lot of podcasts to plug so feel free to do that now yeah uh you mentioned stoppage time soccer show that's on twitter at stoppage show uh stateside soccer show is on twitter at stateside show and uh my current marvel podcast where we're breaking down uh falcon and the winter soldier this friday uh, so that'll release on saturday is at to infinity saga and of course the end of superstore nbc superstore podcast about that as well on at tbr podcast the break room all right and those all those links are going to be down in the show notes as well jack do you have anything else to say to our viewers we'll end the episode right here we'll do the outro right now yeah as always you know uh Follow our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show on either of those platforms. Uh, we love interacting with people on there, uh, talking about like you know what defenders would you take to a World Cup qualifier, what midfielders would you prefer to take, all all of the good stuff. Just getting to hear other people's opinions on there. We're also uh, reaching out to any small uh, soccer content creators. Who are interested on potentially uh, being a guest on our on either of our episodes, uh, a predictions episode, potentially a deep dive episode in the future? If you're interested in that, you can certainly DM us on either Instagram or Twitter, and we'll try and get back to you as soon as possible on there. Uh, but other than that, thank you all so much for the support. Uh, it's been it's uh, this has been a really fun episode as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always. Give us a follow on wherever you listen to us, whatever platform that would be, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad even. I think he'd love to hear this episode. And we'll see you guys for the Monday episode, News and Predictions, next week. And same time, same place for next week's Deep Dive episode. Bye. See ya. Same bat down.